As a part of Minnesota State University's Return to Learn series, we have now Provost Dr. Matt Cecil on the phone to talk about what's going on. Uh, We have some news today, uh, sort of breaking news if you're interested in that. So the big news today is that the president will be announcing any minute now that beginning on July 20th, all MSU faculty, staff, students, and visitors will be required to wear a face covering over both the nose and mouth at all times when indoors, on campus, or in other university facilities with uh, a series of exceptions. But that's a big move. Uh, We've seen other universities move to requiring face coverings. We knew that that was very likely something we'd have to do, and we finally kind of polished off this uh, requirement over the last couple of days, and it's getting announced this morning. Okay, because this is a change, because before it was they were encouraging people to wear masks, and so now it has changed that it's mandated. And is that inside only, outside, or is there any directives sure. that, that no, people there's, have? There's a series of exceptions. So that's primarily inside, when uh, and social distancing should be at all times as well followed. But other exceptions, like when you're alone in a private office, Uh, If you're working in an office setting where physical distancing is maintained, there's an exception for when you're in your residence hall room or apartment, uh, when you're eating and drinking, you're alone in a motor vehicle on campus, an exception for people who are exercising, uh, training or practicing in campus rec or intercollegiate athletic facilities, children uh, 12 and under are accepted from the policy. Uh, And then, of course, there's an exception for folks when they have a medical accommodation that says they cannot wear masks. Or uh, there's the possibility of also getting an exception for a non-medical reason uh, that's been granted by the university administration. So a series of exceptions. Uh, By the way, this policy is based on policies at many, many other universities. We've seen the University of Minnesota move to this about a week and a half or two weeks ago. We've seen other min state schools move to this kind of, of requirement and approach on this issue. And I think it's basically just become a kind of a standard approach at, at most universities in the United States at this point, pretty much all across all 50 states. You know, we are seeing a bit of a, a spike in infections. 40 states are seeing an increase in infections right now. Minnesota is one of those. We've had a bit of a spike over the last couple of weeks that is very concerning to us. And Uh, We want to make sure to get this policy in place starting on Monday or this requirement in place starting on Monday so that we can help keep people safe. That's that's our number one uh, goal in all of this is to keep people safe. Our second goal is to help our students uh, continue progressing towards their goals. But, you know, this was a key part of it. And and I know people were frustrated with the idea of simply strongly recommending masks as we were. Uh, And by the way, that's still the guidance provided by the Minnesota Department of Health at this point is strongly recommend. So we're going beyond the Minnesota Department of Health requirements with this, but I think it's the right thing to do. I think uh, most people understand that masks are a key part of keeping people safe. Face coverings are a key part of keeping people safe because our understanding is this is an airborne virus and cough and if you cough and sneeze, the particles can be in the air and they can hang there for quite some time. Face masks or face coverings are not perfect, but really they do help a lot. And we've seen in places where they were adopted early on in the pandemic, uh, we've seen them really push that curve flat and, and even going down in many places. So we think it's the right thing to do. The exceptions, I think, are reasonable. There will always be a question about how do you enforce such a thing. And, and the reality is we have to have enforcement for that. We will try to educate first. For example, if a faculty member is teaching in a classroom and a student comes in without a mask, uh, we will have masks. We will provide a a mask to that student. We'll have 
some educational material that we'll provide to that student. Uh, but ultimately, that student will need to comply. Uh, we'll need to put on that mask right then, or the student can be asked to leave the room. And repeated offenses and, and unwillingness to follow the guidelines could result in, in student discipline, ultimately. Now, the city of Mankato implemented a mask ordinance in inside areas as well, and that, I think, believe goes till September 5th or sometime in the first week in September. Is there, at this point, a time that we're going to say it's just ongoing, or what is the MSU's? It's really until further notice. Okay. In our case, uh, you know, our I understand why the city put that that date on there. Um, it, it made sense for them. In our case, you know, with the nature of what we do on a campus, uh, we think this is just an essential thing that'll that'll continue uh, until I think we're in the clear uh, from this awful pandemic, which could be quite some time. And in the clear. Who knows when that could be or what that will look like. And I think that's why everything that you guys have been planning has been so much changing all the time. As of now, though, there still is the plan to return to campus. The the flex sync scheduling with online and in-class presentations going to still happen. Is that anything changed with that or is that still the same? We're still working, uh, planning for that. That's our plan. That's our hope. That's our. Uh, we're we're really working towards that goal. Uh, of course, we understand that that the virus can intervene, and so, you know, with five and a half weeks still until classes start, we recognize that that things are changing. Uh, we appreciate how people have been so patient as we've tried to work through these these sort of ebbs and and flows of this pandemic situation, and you know, ultimately, you know, our students are telling us. Uh, that they really want us uh, to to plan for this kind of in-person uh, mixed delivery that we're trying to do. They they they're very clear. We we actually literally spoke to 6,000 students on the phone uh, between uh, the the start of this situation and and the last few weeks. We have all of our advisors have spoken to another 2,500 new students, incoming students. Uh, and they have been very clear with what they want. And then, of course, our students are also sort of uh, expressing their desires through their actions. And we've got thousands of students who have uh, signed up to be in our dorms. We've got thousands of students who have signed up for classes. They're telling us what they want. Uh, now, we, we need to plan for what they want. We think it's also the right thing to do for their education. But we also need to be ready to adapt and shift. We know that, that we can't just say it's going to be this way uh, and, and push forward with that without recognizing the serious health uh, challenges and the safety challenges involved here. So, you know, we're working on that sort of, remember, if you go back to that, uh, we talked about a scenario B, which is that mixed kind of uh, some online courses, some flex sync courses, and a few courses that require in-person. But we know we may have to, to adapt, and we're planning for that as well. Now, up until just, I believe it was yesterday, a decision was made, reversal by the federal government to allow international students to stay in the U.S. while they'll take online classes only. Because that, I know, was a concern with a lot of international students, it, whether or not they'd even be able to stay. So I assume that reversal is going to affect the international students' enrollment as well. Yeah, in a very positive way. We're so thankful uh, that, that that order by ICE was rescinded. Uh, the order had said that uh, international students 
uh, were required to take at least one in-person class in order to stay in the country. In other words, if a student had a, an entirely online schedule, uh, they would no longer be eligible to stay in the U.S. and would have to go home uh, in order to complete that. We, we strongly opposed that. Uh, we found it uh, not just inappropriate, but really indefensible. Uh, and and we really question the motivations behind that as well. It's it's a real concern. Uh, but we were very pleased that uh, it took all of eight minutes in court uh, for that to be withdrawn. Uh, now we're still you know we're being vigilant. We're concerned that that there will be a different kind of of uh, change that comes forward with the same kind of intent, and we hope not. Uh, but we were prepared. We had identified about uh, really only about 66 students on our campus. Uh, who were going to be uh, directly impacted by that. We had already begun working uh, to adapt their schedules so that they would be in compliance of that order. But ultimately, we're really, we're really pleased that that order was, was withdrawn, although we're still, uh, you know, we're still very concerned about the plight of our international students. Uh, we made some changes, for example, recently uh, regards to their health insurance premiums that I think helped uh, those international students out by delaying those pre- premiums uh, premium payments and allowing them to pay in in two installments. So, we've done a few. Uh, well, we've done a lot of things to try to help those students, but they're in a they're in an especially vulnerable position right now, and we recognize that. We're working really hard to help them every way we can. How many international students does Minnesota State Mankato have? Sure, we're actually a national leader. We we have about twelve hundred international students. We at the start of last year, that's about how many we had, which is you know about 8% of our overall student population, which is very significant. Uh, we, we value those students and the experiences they bring to our campus. We think it's, it's a huge benefit to all of our students to have uh, people from diverse backgrounds uh, who can help them understand that the world is a, an interconnected place. Uh, we think that's, you know, that sort of informal part of education is uh, a key part, learning that other people are different and come from different places and understand things in a different way. We, we value that so much on this campus. Uh, and so we've been very concerned as this, uh, this pandemic has played out, as there have been some challenges to visa rules for international students. We've been very, very concerned. And we do expect to have a bit of a, a decrease in the number of international students this fall, uh, not for, for anything that we've done, but based on you know some some changes, visa changes, and just the 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 uh, in, uh, the difficulties of this crisis. So we expect to be down to maybe a thousand, okay. uh, but we're still we're still encouraged. Uh, we're going to do everything we can for those thousand to make sure that they're successful. And we hope once we emerge from this, that that all the efforts we've made uh, demonstrate to international students around the world that MSU Mankato is a great place to come, where you're going to find a very welcoming and supportive community. Interestingly enough, I believe it was last week, the Star Tribune had an article saying St. Cloud was the leader in the state for the number of international students. That used to be the case. Besides uh, no besides, besides the University of Minnesota. But I thought it was interesting because then I said to my husband, I says, well, I thought that uh, MSU was, so they maybe had some old information or something. Sounds like they're using some old information because in the last few years, certainly since I've been here in the last four years, we have we overtook uh, St. Cloud in the, in the number of international students on our campus. How many other students do you believe will be enrolled? You know, we've been up to 15,000 at one point in the way future, past future, where there were 16,000. And what are we looking at for enrollment numbers this year? So we've really worked hard 
on this mm-hmm. issue. We decided at the very beginning of this crisis that staying in touch interpersonally, in other words, literally talking to individual students, was a way that we were going to maintain our connection and, and keep them engaged with us and make sure that they continued in their progress. And so, as I said, we've talked to we talked about 6,000 students during the second half of the spring semester. Uh, we've continued that. Those advisors uh, this summer have personally spoken to and registered you know, 2,500 students, or they will have by the end of the summer. We have a group of faculty, uh, about uh, 30 faculty members, who are each calling 100 students uh, during this month uh, just to check in on them and make sure they're good. And I think those results, uh, the results have paid off. We're looking at, uh, we had a summer enrollment that actually increased over last year, which I think says a lot about what those interpersonal connections mean. And we're looking at, at relatively flat numbers right now for fall, uh, which is a remarkable accomplishment in the middle of this pandemic. So we're, you know, we're cautiously optimistic, understanding that there's still time before uh, the semester begins. People can make late decisions uh, based on, on their anxiety and concern. Uh, but we're cautiously optimistic that we're, we're, we're going to see at, at most a very minimal drop in enrollment uh, hope, you know, hopefully if, if everything uh, worked out to the best, uh, we'd be pretty flat, I think, in the fall. So we're, we're encouraged, uh, but we know things can change pretty quickly during a crisis like this. Well, what number does that mean, being flat? Uh, flat, I, you know, what were we, 13.5, 13.7, something last fall? If we were, you know, in that neighborhood, I think we'd be pretty darn happy. And one of the things I know you mentioned, a lot of students have registered to be in the dorms, and they can be two to a dorm because you worked it out. They're like a family unit. But there's also, if students get sick, you have some, I guess, plans where they can be put to not, or quarantined, I suppose that would be the right word? Yeah, we've absolutely set aside spaces uh, in our residence halls and in our apartment living settings uh, to allow for that kind of quarantine. One of the things people need to understand about how that works, and and I don't know, perhaps you've had Vice President David Jones on, and he's explained some of this, but the reality is that the the public health uh, experts manage that process. So uh, if someone falls ill, goes to see their doctor, gets a test uh, for, and is test positive for COVID, Minnesota Department of Health kind of takes it from there. We assist them in that process, but ultimately decisions about who needs to quarantine, uh, what what kinds of activities need to stop, who needs to uh, uh, self-isolate for three days, all of that stuff, that's handled by public health experts who, okay. who from the MDH who understand what to do there. So we're not contact tracing on campus. Uh, we're not in the business of, uh, for example, doing the kinds of notifications that people might wonder about. That happens through public health authorities, and, and thank goodness for them. I mean, they've been incredible during this crisis. Uh, uh, I can't imagine what it's like working in MDH right now trying to manage this crisis, but they've, I think, done a wonderful job. And, and we trust them and, and we're partners with them, but they, they guide this, this work and we're glad they're there to do that. Yeah, David Jones did explain a lot of that and we appreciate you talking about it as well. What are some other things that have come up since maybe I've talked to the other folks on the, the committee? Anything else that might be new or different well we're you know the campus is going to look a little different we've uh we've we've talked a little bit about what does it mean what kind of density of of people can we manage on a campus during a pandemic and so 
you know, our course uh, mix has been a, sort of adapted to allow us to, to have a pretty manageable group of people on campus at any given time. For example, if you think about a, a FlexSync course, uh, you know, the, the capacity in a room socially distanced might be 30% mm-hmm. of what it normally it could be normally. Uh, so you're going to see a, a significant reduction in hallway traffic based on that because many of the students will be attending remotely via Zoom. Then we've also moved some of our larger uh, gen ed kinds of courses online, again, to just get masses of people out of the hallways at a given time, right? So you you want to minimize people brushing up against each other and filling up stairwells and things like that. So campus will look different from that perspective. There will also be uh, just fewer chairs in rooms. People will see that we have removed a lot of furniture from the campus. Uh, Vice President Rick Straka, uh, Paul Corcoran, and his team have done amazing work uh, to or coordinate that process of essentially setting up our campus to be a socially distanced campus, uh, getting rid of chairs and things and storing them off-site uh, in town uh, where they'll be safe and, and we can bring them back at some point. But that's been a huge amount of work. So the campus will look a little different. There'll be signage around campus uh, encouraging social distancing. There will be uh, also a sort of a, a social norms campaign uh, to encourage people to use masks, uh, to use hand sanitizer, and so on. And when students go into a classroom, uh, the first thing they're going to encounter is a hand sanitizer uh, station, uh, along with uh, some cleaning supplies. And we're asking students to essentially uh, clean up their desk area before they sit down. Uh, and we hope clean it up when they leave as well. So that's become kind of a standard nationally. It's just impossible uh, to, to clean up 150 classrooms every mm-hmm. hour, uh, but we're asking people to sort of take care of that themselves. And there'll be lots of signage and, and guidance on that kind of stuff as well. And then finally, I, I imagine Vice President Jones talked about our self-screening guidelines where we're asking people to sort of answer a little questionnaire for themselves every day to check and see if they have any of the symptoms of COVID. So this, this and that's just the tip of the iceberg, this planning uh, deal delves into detail uh, like you wouldn't believe, but we have an amazing team of about 75 faculty, staff, students, and administrators this summer uh, working through all these details, sorting through all the guidance we're getting from the various public health officials, and setting up our campus in a way that it can be as safe as, as it possibly can be uh, for our students. We, we, you know, we have high hopes that we'll be able to welcome students back to campus. Uh, we want that to be a safe experience for everyone. But we also understand that things can change. What about common areas like the the uh, place where folks go to gather to eat, for example, Karkoski Commons or the yep. the uh, place in the, the where people eat in the the uh, student center or even the uh, what do they call it the the bullpen downstairs where people go to play yep. bowling and you know that sort of thing. How about those common areas? What will be happening with them? Will they be still closed or, or how will that operate? No, those will be open, We but they'll be restaged for social distancing. So there will be less furniture. It'll be distanced. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are things like, for example, at tables uh, where someone might eat, there will be, you know, four chairs around a table spread way out. There will also be dots uh, on the table or on oh. the floor that shows this is where your chair has to be. Uh, but you have to be six feet apart from people. Uh, and we'll be, you know, we'll be walking around encouraging people to be safe and making sure that people are safe. But those those areas will be open. I mean, we'll have 
a considerable number of students on campus at any given time. We want to make sure they have enough spaces to be in uh, so that they feel comfortable, but they have to be socially distanced and they have to wear their face coverings in order to make this this all possible. If we if we can't maintain those things, uh, we'd be in trouble. And so we're going to work every way we can to do that. But we do want students to have that experience, to be able to sit down uh, to lunch with their mm-hmm. friends. They're just going to have to be six feet apart. Well, that'll be interesting, the enforcement part. And I think that's the, the thing a lot of people are concerned about because we hear about sometimes people who don't want to do it and they get into fights or, or that sort of thing. And I hope that doesn't happen. But I mean, are we prepared to, to deal with that kind of thing of people being obstinate, perhaps? Yeah, we are. I mean, uh, ultimately, there has to be uh, discipline and there has to be a way to make sure that these things happen. This is a pandemic. It's a it's a communicable disease. It's dangerous. Uh, it's it's not a joke. And so, you know, we're going to be uh, enforcing these things. We need people to behave. Now, we hope and we expect, I think what, what I've seen when I've been out in Mankato since uh, the face coverings uh, ordinance went into effect is that most people are complying. Uh, and I think we'll see that with students as well. I think the vast majority of students, faculty and staff, want to do what's right to keep, you know, the Mavericks, uh, the other Mavericks in our community safe. Uh, and that's what, you know, we're talking about uh, when we talk about a social norms campaign. We're really just in, we're encouraging people to take care of each other. And we, we're telling people that that's that's part of our expectation of being a Maverick is that you care about other people. Uh, you want to make sure that they're safe and cared for. Will there be people who will push that? Of course there will. Uh, and we will do our best to deal with that in the gentlest, kindest, most thoughtful, educational way we can. Uh, but ultimately, there have to be some consequences if people are obstinate about it. And uh, unfortunately, that's, you know, it's not fun to talk about. No. But if, you know, if you think it's not fun to talk about enforcing these rules, it's really not fun to talk about people being sick. Uh, so we're we're really encouraging people to to take care of each other here, and we're going to try to do this through uh, good communication and education. Uh, but ultimately, there will be you know the ability to enforce some of these things as well. One of the things that a lot of folks think of college is the social aspect of it, and a lot of times students of age, well, hopefully they're of age, go downtown, and we've heard a lot about being downtown being the source of some of the spread of the COVID-19. Is MSU working with some of those downtown uh, establishments to try and make sure things are enforced, that we don't end up with people down there coming back with and spreading it on campus, or is there just no way to even do that? No, I mean, we're, we're relying on the public health officials. I think our, our local business people have been extraordinarily responsible and tried to do the right thing all along here. Uh, in some cases, the guidance has shifted and changed as, as we've learned more. Uh, and I don't think anybody uh, in a local business, if you just think about what's their motivation, uh, they, they want healthy patrons to come in and, and, and have fun in their establishment. And I know that they're trying their best. Uh, to do a good job with that. And we appreciate everything that they're trying to do. We also understand that at some point, you know, things are out of our control. Uh, We're asking people to be responsible. Some people may not be responsible. Uh, We hope they will, but they may not be. And we we likely, well, we certainly will have some outbreaks uh, if we're back on campus. Uh, What we can do is manage those, make sure that as few people as possible uh, uh, fall ill. Uh, and that we we maintain some kind of control over the situation. And again, I, I appreciate our local business people. I, I feel bad that uh, that people are sort of um, 
uh, some people have blamed them for the way that they, you know, they're just going about their business trying to do the best they can. And I, I think they're all, their interest is in keeping everybody healthy as well. Well, it sounds like if things do change, if we, let's say we did have a big outbreak, would we have to change course in terms of how the classes were all online again, like we had to quickly adjust this spring, or would Mm -hmm. there be some modifications? Yeah, we, you know, we're planning for every possible contingency, but ultimately some of this is out of our hands. Uh, You know, we can plan to be as safe as possible, and there could be an outbreak at another university that drives the state to, to reconsider. Uh, and change course. So we understand that. We're, we're planning for various uh, possible outcomes. We're hopeful that we'll be able to have, you know, a relatively, uh, and it's relative, a relatively normal fall semester. Uh, but we also know that things can change quickly. They can turn on a dime as they did in the spring. We're much more prepared to do that now mm-hmm. uh, than we were in the spring. That, you know, that was uh, kind of out of nowhere. We had no idea that that was uh, potentially going to happen when we started that semester. Uh, we've had a good bit of time now to plan. We've learned from what we did in the spring. So we'd, we'd be able to do a much, much more seamless, uh, much better pivot if we had to. And part of that is that those FlexSync courses uh, that can that can be delivered completely remotely if they had to be. So we're in a better place uh, to manage that kind of thing now. But ultimately, you know, we're part of the Min-State system, 30 uh, colleges and seven universities. Uh, and if we're told to, to go back to remote uh, and online instruction, uh, we will do so, and we're ready to do it. Will the grading system change like it did in the spring? I think it was you could take pass-fail, or, or is, are we going to go back to the traditional letter grades as it has always been? We're back to the traditional letter okay. grades. You know, if something change, we'll, changes, we'll look at that. I should mention, uh, relatively few students took advantage of that. Oh, uh, what we discovered was that it was really it, it became sort of uh, an anxiety reducer. It helped students know that they had another option uh, if they needed it at some time. Uh, but we saw relatively few students do it, and I think that's you know a tribute to our faculty and the work that they did in the classroom, not and the students. Uh, the students certainly adapted incredibly well uh, to a pretty crazy situation in the spring. So. If we had to move to that, we'd certainly have that discussion if we had to move online. But right now we're planning to have, uh, you know, normal letter grades and, and proceed as we normally would with that part of the assessment of student learning. Will there be any change in breaks or anything like that, like the U of M had talked about in terms of, you We've know? we talked about it. Uh, yeah. Uh, so we're, we're, we're considering, we're seriously considering that idea of ending in-person instruction at Thanksgiving. Okay. Uh, with the idea... Uh, that if students are going to go off somewhere, we, we just don't want people moving around a lot during a pandemic like this, right? The whole, the whole idea is to minimize the spread. And we have students from all, every county in Minnesota, from all 50 states and from 90 different countries who come to study on our campus. So uh, there's a lot of conversation going on about the possibility that we would stop in-person instruction at Thanksgiving. Uh, we haven't decided that yet. Uh, it's still on the table, though, and, and I think those conversations, as we've seen the, the sort of the progress of the virus, those conversations have become uh, a lot more uh, sort of on the foreground. So, yeah, I think the University of Minnesota made some changes. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if we did, but we haven't we haven't made a decision on that yet. Okay. Well, I mean, it seems like everything since we've started this has been that that fluid 
planning and changing as we go along. And now the latest, as you mentioned today, was that masks now will be required on campus yep. by everyone unless there's some other reason that they can't. So that is the, the latest news, apparently. And anything else that we should know about, Dr. Cecil? <laughs> Nothing else yet, but it's, <laughs> it's, it's only Wednesday, right? So right. <laughs> anything can happen. And during this crisis. So, uh, but, you know, I think, you know, I'd be happy to, to come back next Wednesday and let you know if anything new has changed. Well, I appreciate that very, very much, uh, your time and, and all the efforts that everybody's put again. I know it's been, oh, just amazing, all the work that people have put in to make this happen. So thank you so much. We've been talking with the provost of Minnesota State University, Dr. Matt Cecil, about the return to learn here on campus at Minnesota State University. Thank you so much for your time, and uh, we'll hopefully chat with you again, see if there's any changes coming up. Absolutely. Thank you, Karen. You Take bet. Care. Bye-bye.